to Maths Talk, where conversations in maths become part of your professional learning. Today, I'm delighted to welcome back a very popular guest, Nadia Abdelal, a highly respected and sought-after mathematics consultant and director of EM Maths Consulting. Nadia started her maths education career as a secondary maths teacher and has taught everything from methods to year seven and back again. Her move into consultancy came when she joined AMSI as a school's advisor, where she undertook intensive study into primary school maths pedagogy. As a result, she's one of my go-to people for advice on maths education at all levels. And doesn't she love a chat about maths? Welcome back, Nadia. Hi, Leanne. Thanks for having me back on your show. It's always a pleasure to be here. Okay, so you're here today to talk about assessment. Can you tell me why you suggested this might be a topic that would be of interest to our audience? Yeah, assessment is a topic that I get asked about a lot. So whenever I get called in to work with a school or even just deliver a presentation, assessment is always high on the list of subjects that I get asked about. And it's because, well, a couple of reasons. Obviously, although we don't necessarily teach for assessment, assessment is a large part of what we do in the classroom. So we do have a legal obligation as teachers to assess and in a lot of cases, it is the only way that we can figure out whether the students have actually understood. Mm. But having said this, it can be difficult with those younger year levels because we don't generally give those younger year levels any sort of standard forms of assessments like tests and things like yeah. that. There's a lot of anecdotal data that's collected, a lot of observational data. So that can not always be easy. I also think, though, at the secondary level, we deliver a lot of assessments in the forms of tests and stuff. But again, that's not, in my opinion, the only way we should be assessing at the secondary level. Yep, yep. I agree that it's a concept that seems quite onerous for teachers. Now, I need you to tell me more about this assessment. There's a lot of jargon around it, formative, summative, of, as, for, And data, always the data. I want to keep this simple and I always like to keep things as simple as possible. So whenever I talk about assessment, I talk about a three-tiered approach to assessment. So this will include things like observations, like assessment checklists, anecdotal notes, videos, photos, etc. Then there's the artefacts. So artefacts are things like student work, tests, and any student thinking, including journals and self-assessments. And then finally, there's that include inquiry so inquiry not as in like inquiry investigations it's more like inquiry as in conversations between student and teacher and also peer conversation so you want to get them talking and when they're talking they you know they're they're bringing out a lot of their thinking so this this three-tiered approach it, it actually allows for the triangulation of data so in my opinion whenever you're doing any assessment you need to be collecting data in these three forms. That way you know that you've covered as much of the student understanding as you possibly can. Okay, so I'd like to unpack the three aspects involved in the triangulation of data to know what this looks like in an effective maths classroom. Do you have some primary and secondary examples? Yeah, yeah, I can I can come up with some examples. Let me just uh let me just think about this for a little bit. <laughs> all right. So first of all, I will always, this is always my first go-to. I always love a good number talk or maths talk. This is the best kind of, in my opinion, formative assessment in terms of observation. 
right? So a lot of the times we talk about formative and summative assessment in terms of tests or something that's written down, but you can also make formative assessment in the form of observational data. So anybody that's done a number talk will actually recognize that they collect a lot of information from the students while they're doing this number talk, right? So if you do this once a week, or, or even if you, so what, usually what I would suggest to people is, you know, if you're doing a topic of fractions. So if you're starting with fractions, you might choose a number talk that's around the fraction type thinking. So if you're looking at equivalent fractions, you might give them a question up on the board, a number talk, whether it's an image or any sort of question. NAPLAN questions make great number talks. So I might talk about that a little later. But while you're doing the number talk, you're then collecting that information. And while you're collecting the information, so after it's all already done, write some things down that you observed. So it could be in terms of a, a whole class. So from that number talk, you might recognize that the students actually don't have a solid understanding of what makes up a fraction. So we might be onto the equivalent fraction part, but the students don't actually understand the part whole aspect of fractions or maybe what a numerator and the denominator is. So you will need to go back and you will need to address those things. Yeah. By the way, we're going to put examples and all of these things that Nadia's talking about. We'll put these in the show notes. So uh, I'll elaborate a little bit for those out there who don't know what a number talk is. And you can do these both at the primary and secondary level. In fact, I would recommend if you haven't already incorporated number talks into your weekly teaching, that you look into what they are and you start doing those. I'll give you an example. So let's look at content descriptive from year three, recognize and represent a unit fraction, including halves, thirds, quarters, fifths, and tenths, right? So what you might want to do is show a shape that's partitioned into different color parts, ask students to identify how much of each of the whole is shaded red, for example. Okay. So you want to focus on the unit fractions and you want to provide an image where they have to identify the unit fraction. So the, the image will be targeted or the question will be targeted around the content descriptor that you want to assess or you want to get information on whether they have any sort of understanding of that. So you can get them to do it verbally or you can get them to write their answer on a whiteboard and then hold up the whiteboard. So you can take out your, your phone or your camera, like take a photo of that and then you can file that away and that will give you some information. So do that perhaps first and then you might want to have that discussion to get that inquiry observation from the question that, that they're doing. In secondary schools this is particularly important because in secondary schools we focus a lot on just the test you know we we teach a topic and then at the end of the two or three week unit we do a topic test and then we use that topic test to determine whether the student understands the content or not and then that's the end they don't understand it move on that's it I'm not a data scientist but I know that if I was collecting data and I collected data on sourcing that way then I would lose my job very quickly like <laughs> it's not what we do we always talk about triangulating data when we're collecting those points of information because one point source does not provide us with a holistic view of what's actually going on with 
this person or this situation. Do you know what I mean? So it's kind of like, can you imagine, Leanne, as a teacher, somebody's coming in to watch your class and they come in in the last period on a Friday and they assess your entire teaching proficiency based on just that lesson that's basically what we're doing it's a one snapshot in time and so we need to provide students with opportunities to show their understanding Mm. in different ways to succeed in other forms that's right succeeding in a test is only one form of success that's right because some people are great at tests but the majority of us will hate tests and will actually have test anxiety and we may not perform at our best on a test. You mentioned using NAPLAN questions for formative and ongoing assessment. Can you just talk more about that? I know a lot of teachers dislike NAPLAN and for very good reason because there's a lot of pressure that comes with NAPLAN. There's pressure on teachers, there's pressure on schools, there's pressure on students. I will never teach to NAPLAN, but I recognise that NAPLAN actually make phenomenal questions because the NAPLAN questions are designed in such a way that they tease out pieces of information that these students either know or don't know. So one thing about a NAPLAN question is they'll never be written so they explicitly talk about certain concepts, particularly operations. So they will never say things like add these two numbers together They'll never explicitly use the obvious words and mathematical texts that they they know regularly done in the classroom. They're designed to assess whether students really understand the concept versus whether they can mimic a process. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So having said that, I've used NAPLAN questions before as actually a type of formative assessment, similar to a number talk. So what, what I've done is created a spreadsheet where I've unpacked all of the NAPLAN questions. So each question obviously is linked to a content strand. We can bring up whatever content strand we're talking about, let's say we're talking about algebra. We want to know what the students know about this. And the good thing about the NAPLAN questions is it is designed as an assessment. Yeah. So they're a little bit different to a number talk in that they are an actual assessment question. Yeah, and they usually involve more thinking than a number talk. They do. There's there a lot of problem solving. Some of them are reasoning. Very rarely is is it a skill based question. Yeah, more and more double barreled too than a normally yeah. a number talk is a you know single concept question. Um, yeah. this spreadsheet of which you speak, mm. does anyone have access to that? I can provide your listeners restricted access because the spreadsheet's been designed four schools around a particular program. But for those interested, I have provided them with access. You won't be able to download or copy the spreadsheet or information from the spreadsheet, but you can click on the links and project them up and you'll have all of the information there to be able to use. So you can use it. Fantastic. And I bet once once the schools start using them, they'll go, we need Nadia to come out to our school. So I want to I want to focus on secondary schools just for the minute because I think that in primary schools they're a lot more aware of this triangulation of data. They recognize that because they don't use formal assessments in primary, they usually will collect a lot of anecdotal data 
as well as getting the, the students to record their thinking in their portfolios and and you know they they take photos and they do all of these sorts of things at a secondary level we need to really double down on the idea of this formative assessment before we go into teaching a topic the reason is because secondary maths teachers and I'm not saying all teachers and I'm not saying all schools but the the method is really around textbooks what that does is it creates this culture of building our curriculum around the resource not using the resource to support our curriculum and we have to be very careful when we're doing that because we talk about a crowded curriculum but it becomes much more crowded when you're only using the textbook because you've got to understand that textbook companies design textbooks to support and consolidated topics as well as extension topics so there's, there's a lot more in a textbook than is necessary to teach at year level the textbook is not our curriculum bible the textbook is something that we use to support our teaching the other thing is if you know that your students really don't understand what a fraction is do not start at that first topic of let's add these fractions together because you've got to teach at the zone of proximal development whether that's further along the line or whether that's further back that's where you've got to be in order to understand that you've got to get this formative assessment right that's something that I've noticed in a, in a lot of secondary schools that there might be some formative assessment in the textbook or maybe even those first few um, exercises in the chapter but they don't take that feedback to inform the teaching so that the students aren't taught at that zone of proximal development. And if a student doesn't understand, well, the class needs to move on. And I know differentiation is a lifelong problem and something that becomes very difficult. Small groups and that sort of thing are really, really important. Being able to target your teaching to a specific group of kids or even individual kids that are missing out on something is really important and then keeping the rest of the class going on it's difficult but it's something that we really need to do in secondary schools yeah it is difficult it's one of the most difficult topics so I always get asked about assessment obviously problem solving and differentiation that's the triad and differentiation probably up there with one of the hardest things to do in a classroom yeah. And there are ways that you can cater that makes it easier on the teacher and easier on the students. I mean, that's another podcast. Yeah. And, and honestly, I don't have the answers either. I'm just here to try to give some solutions that have worked in my classrooms and solutions that have, I've seen work in other people's classrooms. We're always learning and we're always figuring it out as we go along. And, and really, that's, that is what it's about so I've tried this has it worked yes great if not let's let's look at how we're going to adapt and fix this so back to the formative assessment I want to go back to that whole a formative assessment doesn't have to be a formal assessment so we can do that in so many different ways so I'll give you an example of one way that a school that I worked with has done it they actually used, and we'll go back to the nap plan questions, they used the year seven nap plan question and it was a worded question that asked the students to formulate an expression and they needed to choose the correct response. So the way that they did it is 
they set it up on their learning management system, whatever module the school used. I think they were using Seesaw and the students completed it for homework. But what they did is they actually recorded themselves completing it, reading the problem and solving the problem. And the results were phenomenal and not in a good way. Spoiler, not one single student got this question correct. It was a multi-level classroom, year seven, eight and nine combined. And not one student from year seven, eight or nine got this question correct. So some of these year nine students were up to factorizing quadratics and they couldn't formulate an algebraic expression from a scenario. The other thing it did is it highlighted some of the comprehension issues that students had had. So as they were reading the, the question, the teacher noticed that some of these kids were actually really struggling, particularly with the math specific language. And in this case, it was expression. So the student couldn't read the word expression. So if a student can't read a word expression, it, it probably means that he doesn't really understand what an expression is in maths either. Do you know what I mean? So it's a, yeah. it was a very simple task. It required zero class time. The students did it for homework. It took them less than a minute to complete it. They uploaded it. Teacher watched them and realized, hey, I've got some work to do here and adjusted the teaching accordingly. And it was fabulous. It provided mm. us with so much information. So that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Yeah. What are you going to do to give you that information that you need to design a course that's going to uh, bridge those gaps that the yeah. students have? All right. So we've talked about formative. What about something like open-ended tasks? What's a good way of assessing those? Yeah, open-ended tasks are always problematic because a lot of people think that they're difficult to assess. You can do it. Best way of assessing open-ended tasks, in my opinion, is a rubric. So you can create an assessment rubric. So for example, Leanne's going to put this up. I'm going to talk through it. So hopefully this makes sense. Let's say I designed a task and I've got this one here where we're looking at Content descriptor, apply the associative community and distributive laws to aid mental and written computation. Now, you'll notice that I'll always start with a content descriptor because if we're doing assessment, we need to know what we're assessing against. Okay, we're not assessing against what the textbook tells us. We're assessing against what ACARA is requiring us to do at that year level. So I'm going to design this task around a year seven content descriptor. So the task is box times box times box equals 20 times 30. I've got three numbers that multiply together to give another expression 20 times 30. What could those three numbers be? And the idea behind it is you want to know whether the students understand that we can use the distributive property or the associative property to create these this expression 20 times 30 we also want to know what their relational thinking is like all right now I've created this rubric that has got like just one two three four and five if you can somehow come together with your staff develop some agreed outcomes for this assessment and put it together as a rubric so open-ended tasks are fantastic because they allow students to begin developing their problem solving. So you're actually killing two birds with one stone here. You're assessing and you're getting them to problem solve using their problem solving skills. 
let's say for number five, let's say the student has no idea how to solve this problem. So your rubric might suggest student as one of the following, writes no correct equations, writes more incorrect than correct equations, or writes less than five correct equations as, and has the same number of correct than incorrect equations. Okay, so it's just really, what is the standard of yes. success? And what is the standard of we need to support these students? Okay. Now, you mentioned earlier some observation. What, mm. what are some hints you've got about the observation? I'm going to preface this by saying before you teach a lesson, you always need to decide whether you're going to deliver this lesson for assessment or whether you're going to deliver this lesson for consolidation because there's a difference. So if you're delivering for consolidation, I'm going to give them a task and they're going to have a play around with the task. They're going to complete the task. It might be a game. It might be an activity. It might be folding paper, whatever it is. And they're going to do some sort of recording, but it's mainly them working through and learning the skills. So I always, I always actually suggest if you particularly if you've got a really good activity, do it more than once. So it doesn't have to be done the next day one after the other, but but do it more than once because the second time you do it, you may want to do it for assessment if you think it's a good enough, one of those tasks that are really good. When you're doing it for assessment, you're actually getting them to record their thinking in their workbooks. So I love using the CRA approach, the concrete representational yeah. and abstract approach. So if you want to incorporate that approach, you you give them the A3 bit of paper, divided up or sectioned into that CRA or you might just get them to draw the table into their into the textbook but always get them to to write down their thinking so if they need to be creating if they're rolling dice and they're they're creating number sentences rather than just like roll the dice create the number sentences get their point to whatever the game they're actually writing down their number sentences in their book they might be writing down their number sentence as a word they might be writing down uh, you know two or three different examples of how to obtain this number so everything gets written down that's the difference with observation while they're doing these activities for consolidation you can still be making observational taking observational notes or observational data so for example if we go back to that content descriptor year three content descriptor unit fractions and their multiples recognizing them combining fractions with the same denominator to complete the whole etc so you may want to design the task but before designing the task you may want to take a few things into consideration so when you're collecting the observational data you need to make sure that you know what you're looking for okay sometimes it's incidental but other times it's intentional so you might want to ask them the question do my students know what a fraction is can they correctly make draw and label a fraction? Do they know what the denominator is? Do they know what the numerator is? Do they call it the right thing? Can they correctly identify the larger fraction when comparing two or more fractions? You can design a simple, so here's a simple task. This is one, I love doing this because it's always really fun to watch how students do this and how teachers do. What fraction is larger, four fifths or five sixths? So this is how I would do it, okay? Let me, let me pretend I'm in a classroom. Leanne. I'm going to ask you this question. I'm putting you on the spot. What fraction do you think is larger, four-fifths or five-sixths? Five-sixths. Five-sixths. Why did you choose five-sixths? What's your thinking? Well, 
four fifths is missing one fifth and mm-hmm. five sixths is missing one sixth and one sixth is smaller than one fifth. So five sixths is missing less. Perfect. So you've used what we call residual thinking. I know you're, you're actually, I know. I hate being put on the spot. I always get the question wrong. I have such bad anxiety when it comes to pressure. Okay. So yes, you are correct. And you used a method called residual thinking. That is a higher level thinking. If I had a student in my class that solved the problem that way, I know that this kid's got a really deep understanding of fractions. Okay. So you'd have this discussion and then you would actually get them to do it. So you'd give them two strips of paper. You would get them to fold and make their four fifths, fold and make their five sixths. This is always interesting when they do this. Like it's it's so fun to watch because they just, especially their fifths, no idea. <laughs> so when they're doing this, you want to observe a couple of things. Do they fold their strips in equal sizes on purpose? Like sometimes they're not the same, but they know they have to be the same, but they're struggling with the folding. Okay, that's a different situation. Then you want to ask them to label the fractions because you want to observe whether they label the fraction one-fifth, 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 and not one-fifth, two-fifth, three-fifths, four-fifths. Okay, because that is a misconception that then needs to be addressed. Do they know what the numerator and denominator represent and do they shade it appropriately? So you want them to actually draw it, partition it, show me the lines. Do they make the observation when they compare the two fractions that five six is larger and can they explain why? And can they represent their finding in a different way? For example, on a number line, right? And then can they use the correct mathematical notation? So the correct mathematical notation will be five sixth, open alligator mouth, four fifths. <laughs> Right. So this is this is all then part of your observation. Like I said, some of it may be incidental. Like, for example, you may not really be assessing on whether they know how to label their fractions correctly. But in the process, you've realized three quarters of the class have actually labeled this incorrectly. So this needs to be a teaching moment, you know. So it's it's that kind of thing that you do. And then you make notes on that you make observational notes because later down the track you're then going to use that information to reassess so you're going to give them another opportunity to fold and label and you're going to see whether they actually do it correctly this time you know what I mean so it, it doesn't have to be formal we've made a test we're making them sit down it's the same at a secondary level you're going to give them these assessments it could be an activity like this right mm. but maybe a little yeah. bit more complex it could be this activity because I can tell you some year sevens would not know how to do some of oh this. I was thinking of that for year seven or eight yeah do you know what's really you know what I find really interesting watching students when they start folding their six and happens every single time without fail what they do is they do their halves they do their quarters because I have this I have a task that I do with students where they make their equivalent fractions using fraction strips and then when it comes to sixth, what they do is they fold the paper in half, they fold it in half again, and then they fold it in half again, right? Yeah. Because to them, they've done three, three times folds. two, and that's six. So then I just watch them open it up and count and go, oh, my God, I've got eight. And, and then they go, oh, hang on. And they put it down and they do it again and they do it correctly. So it's interesting because 
they learn very quickly through the folding of paper that the number of folds they need is actually the number of parts minus one. Right. Oh, okay. So so it's one of those things that if you know that, then because this is this is an issue with fractions that are not that are not like multiples of a half. Yeah. Fractions right. that are multiples of a half. You often get those those issues of kids just sort of like folding in half folding and folding in half, in half and yep. folding in half and like how do we do this? So so yes, yeah, just those little things, you know, that make a, a big difference. Now. Before we finish, I can hear our audience saying very loudly, mm -hmm. I don't have time to come up with all of this. I know. I can hear you all. <laughs> Where can we get things that are ready-made like rubrics, proficiency scales, which are great for developing rubrics, assessment tasks that we can use or modify for our students, fraction strips, all of these things that you've been talking about? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of places out there. There's some great, you know, there's some great books that have got tasks already designed. I would be very, very careful to make sure to go to places that are reputable. Um, there are a lot of open source, and I've talked about this before, those open source marketplaces, but, you know, where... Teachers pay like, teachers. Teachers and, pay teachers, yeah. YouTube, Twinkle. Yeah. They, don't get me wrong, some of the stuff on there can be good, but... You've got to wade through also, a lot, don't you? You really do, and a lot of it is not efficacy tested. So there's, like, the departments have got some great resources. Yes. I've got a website. If you want to jump on I've just developed a sequence of teaching and learning it's all free I don't believe in charging teachers for good resources so the stuff that I've designed has all been linked to the new Australian curriculum it has all been designed around a scaffold of, of teaching and learning I mean I've started at foundation and I've probably gotten to I've gotten to multiplication and division so it, it's a massive project and some massive work in, in progress but it's getting there the department of education and training um, the arc learning uh, they've got teaching and learning sequences but the other thing is your staff are your best source of support and information so don't try to reinvent the wheel just have those discussions with your staff. Some of them have got some real gems in yeah. their files. It's about taking those gems, recognising that this is a great activity, and then coming up with some agreed outcomes before using them as an assessment. And if you've got a great task, like let's say the trading game. The trading game has been around for years and it's still my go-to for teaching place value it's always the one I study but you can also use it in the higher year levels as you get into addition and subtraction you're going into multiplication division you can you can adapt it as long as you understand what it is that you're trying to assess goes back to the curriculum and if you have a look back at the last podcast we did with Cass Lowry she talked about some fabulous resources we'll put links to that as well on our show yeah. notes you know things like enrich yeah. Um, NZ maths calculate a lot of the stuff that I've got on my website has all been linked to some of the amazing calculate resources they're so good Michael Minnis has got some really great videos with some phenomenal activities he's actually got 100 videos on YouTube his site is love maths 
and they're great. You want some games? I mean, it is focused around primary, but if you're all, a primary all of these teacher, games can be adapted for secondary. And show me a secondary kid who understands primary maths fully, and I'll show you someone mm-hmm. who's functioning actually above level. Michael Minnis did a podcast with us very early days, so maybe we could either get him back or re-release his podcast. Yeah, he's got some really good stuff. You know, Rob Vingerhood's also very good, but Michael's videos are all free, which mm-hmm. are great. The Department of Education, New South Wales as well, I'll send you the link, have also got a series of videos that two entertaining ladies that have some nice banter, but also some amazing games. I love videos. Okay, so let's get succinct now. What are your three top tips for teachers around assessment? Number one, you decide when beginning a topic what your assessments are going to be. So it's a very succinct. Start with the end in mind. Exactly. What is the goal here, right? What is the end product? Are you going to use standardised tests? like you know essential assessment and you know I'm, I think there's a department of education one that's come out that replace that's replacing the on-demand test mm-hmm. currently somebody sent me a link but I can't remember what it's called so there's a few I'll check, I'll check that, that you can out, and put it out yeah then there are like obviously locally generated ones that you guys have decided this is going to be my assessment right or there's teacher judgment so as you're you're going on, you're deciding this is this needs to be assessed similar to the uh, fractions that we talked about, the one yep. fifth, two fifth, three fifths, right? So, but you have to begin with your assessment, formative mm-hmm. assessment, and then move from there. Exit tickets are really good as well. So always design some exit tickets when you finish a, a major thing that gives you an idea of whether they have understood or whether you're going to have to come back at a later stage and reassess this. The second is make this student thinking visible you want to be able to observe and see firsthand what what the students are doing as as you're moving through a topic so you're going to have to use those three things triangulating the data it's not about one it's about the three or at least two guys don't just use one form of assessment it's kind of like getting the students to do that plan and deciding this is all they know and we all know that that is a big no-no So use the three, use observations, use those artifacts of student works and have those conversations with your students because some of them can explain it, but they can't necessarily, they'll, you know, writing it down might be a problem for whatever reason. Number three, decide on the agreed outcomes beforehand. So as a department or as a staff, what does accomplish look like for this student? Uh, what misconceptions are we looking for? Because knowing what they're going to get potentially wrong is very powerful. In you know, you can you, in maths especially, yeah. You can so you can design the tasks around drawing out those misconceptions and what formative assessments are going to be given at the beginning of the topic and for ongoing assessments. Now you can design a formative assessment and then create a summative assessment. At the end, that's very similar. So you can do that as well. So, you know, if if you want to make it a formal assessment and then at the end assess it, or if you want to make it a task or an activity and at the end repeat the task and activity and say, see what improvements that's, that's are going to make. nice because it shows the growth. Yeah, mm. yeah, because that's what you want. It's the growth that you want to be able to assess. 
right? right? So if a student has made, you know, however many standard deviations in mm. growth, you know that what you've done has worked. It's not about the outcome. It's about where they are compared to where they were. Mm. So if you don't know where they were, the where they are is not going to matter really, is it? So where can people contact you for your tailored professional learning at both primary and secondary level? Well, I have a website that I'm very proud of because it has taken hours and hours and hours in the making as I said before it's free it's emmaths.com.au so em maths consulting everybody asks me what em stands for and I'm like I could I could have come up with a better name but I didn't so now we're stuck with it guys all right so emmaths.com.au I've got all information up there I've got a blog that I try to add to weekly where it's just basically a brain dump of all of the crazy stuff in my head that I try to get down on paper. But I also have that learning sequence that I have designed for teachers to be able to kind of pick up and go, well, my student doesn't know how to trust the count. What do I need to do to get them to that point? Let's go back a step. And let's look at some of the teaching and learning. Let's look at some of the activities and let's try to consolidate that. So this is... Does that go all the way to secondary? Uh, eventually it yeah. will, yes. So it is going to take a while to get to the secondary point. But I've also got all of my contact details up there. So if you want to reach out and just have a have a quick chat or... And you, you do school visits? I do school visits. I do ongoing consulting and support in schools. I also do one-off presentations. I run whole-day workshops, half-day workshops, and it's all bespoke. So, you know, if a school approaches me and says, look, you know, we've got a cohort that looks like this, we need really intensive support in problem-solving and, you know, conceptual teaching or whatever, what can you do to help us? So I will design a program and I'll design a professional learning around supporting you in those areas. Well, your reviews are amazing and I've seen you. Oh, well, thank you. So I can highly recommend you. And it's not often that AMSI actually recommend commercial products, but having, having seen Nadia in action many times, I can really recommend it. And oh, on that note, I'd like to thank Nadia for these amazing insights today. It's always a treat to have her on the podcast. And I know her episodes are always popular with our audience. So thank you so much, Nadia. Thanks, guys. I had a great time. Thanks, Leanne. Hostess with the mostest. Cheers. Check the website for all of our links. I will put all of them on. I'll speak to Nadia and get all of her links. And if you've got any suggestions for any podcasts or if you need um, any support from us, just drop us a line, mathstalk at amsi.org.au. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Bye.